You're listening to Planet Pod, the weekly podcast for everyone who cares about the planet. I'm Amanda Carpenter. And I'm Steve Malkin. Welcome. Planet Pod is packed with insights and ideas to help us live and work more sustainably. We bring you the stories behind the news and we'll be hearing from people who are passionate about making exciting changes happen for the planet. Planet Pod's brought to you by The Planet Mark and Akil Management. So today we're talking about plastic and all things plastic and we have two very special guests joining us today. We have Alex Robinson who is the MD of Hubbub Enterprise and Sean Sutherland, co-founder of Plastic Planet. So hello both and welcome. Hello. Hello. Um, so plastic, Steve, I don't know, have you noticed there seems to be an awful lot of plastic about at the moment and a lot of plastic awareness. Um, have you seen that happening? Well, literally we're surrounded by plastic, aren't we chaps? So um, it's in our recycling and we're wrestling with our recycling. It's some great news around how we're not using those shopping bags anymore, bringing our own bags and... Um, and in our plastic straws, we, we're, we're seeing them being eradicated from all of our pubs and restaurants. Everyone I go into now has got a cardboard one or a, or a paper one. So it's a massive change. It seems to be happening really, really fast. So what about you guys? I mean, obviously, plastic is, um, you know, <laughs> your raison d'etre, I think, Sean. Have you noticed a general change in the mood around plastic? Just, just sort of kind of the headline feelings about what's happening out there? Oh, yeah, very much so. I think it's been phenomenal, really, hasn't it, in the last 12 months? Just the rise in public awareness of people talking about it, the media writing about it. And I think it's been the, uh, the result of many different things, you know, things like obviously Sky Ocean Rescue Campaign. I think that's been phenomenal. Good on them and good on them for rolling it into a second year and all the brave statements that they're making. Uh, and then, of course, we have Blue Planet too. And everybody you meet who is in this kind of retail or plastic space will talk to you about the Blue Planet effect mm -hmm. because that, that was the tipping point for the UK that we kind of knew we didn't really want to know because it's inconvenient for us to know. We don't want to change our plastic ways. You know, it's very easy, the life that we have now, this throwaway, easy lifestyle that plastic has given us. And then I think a lot of people saw Blue Planet and it was the final straw, really, for them to think um, it's not good enough anymore. And I feel whenever I talk to the public now, they are they're bored of feeling guilty. They are fed up of being part of the problem. And they're ready now to be part of the solution. So I think we have a moment in time and anybody you speak to is who's either in the retail or the commercial or the industrial space, even, even throughout government, um, everybody will say we have a moment right now where we have the potential to make some seismic change. And particularly in the UK where I think we have been the snails, to be honest, the laggards in the race against um, plastic pollution and major culprits in the cause of it. And I think that we've gone from being those snails to being the noisiest nation in Europe, if not the world. And we have this opportunity now. And what we see our role at A Plastic Planet being is we need to corral and channel that noise now into action. Because if we don't make a seismic change now, shame on us. Shame on all of us. Because the public are with us. The media are with us. Industry knows that change has to happen. So if it doesn't happen now, we've missed this incredible opportunity. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about Blue Planet too. And I think it's that 
suddenly it became acceptable to have that conversation. And I found myself having conversations with people that I would never have expected to have conversations about plastic with. So, you know, really hard-bitten, you know, hedge fund managers and people who work in banks and, you know, for whom plastic hasn't really been at the front of their agenda at mm -hmm. all. And just the inescapable fact of having that beamed into our living rooms in massive technicolor has really affected yeah. people, hasn't it? It was that, you're right, it was that trigger we needed. Do you know but 18 million people in China downloaded Blue Planet and apparently slowed down the world's internet. And that just gives you such faith, doesn't it? Apart yeah. from, you know, tremendous pride yeah. in David Attenborough and the BBC, mm. but also it gives you amazing amount of confidence that this is not just something that we're going to fix. You know, every nation on the planet is looking at this right now. Yeah, absolutely. The power of television. So, Alex, you've been in this world a long time, if I can say that, in terms of the, 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 the plastic world and, and working around. Mm. What are some of the really, really big numbers and issues we should be thinking about? Because we hear these really scary statistics, but, mm. but, you know, just so we can get a handle on how big this problem is. Well, I think, um, okay, coming off the Blue Planet 2 question that made the global marine plastic issue a kind of emotional one for all of us, at Hubbub, we particularly look at what's happening on our doorstep. So we have 7 million coffee cups every day that we throw away in the UK. 7 million? 7 million. And wow. that's just the paper cups. And those, of course, have a plastic lining, which people are beginning to understand. Um, in London... We can see the Thames from this beautiful studio and there are 300 um, tonnes of plastic waste pulled out of the Thames every year. That's just what we um, what we pull out and 74% of that is food and drink packaging. That's horrifying, isn't it? Those are enormous numbers. I think it's enough for 43 bottlenose whales. <laughs> <laughs> Good use of plastic, mm. make a bottlenose whale. And it's literally, yeah, so plastic is in some respects sort of a, a wonder product isn't it yeah uh, so how what's our you know what, are you seeing something about our relationship with plastic and how we're going to use it change i think it's it is as sean said this is this sea change moment and i think we have to be careful not to demonize plastic per se totally because agree. it's it's been the reason it's so popular and ubiquitous now is it is this kind of miracle product that has a lot of of uses i think what we are beginning to understand is we can't necessarily take something that has taken millions of years to produce and then just use it and dispose of it in a few seconds. That feels like a totally irresponsible use. So it's a question of evaluating when plastic is the appropriate material to use. And also I think we're understanding now that plastic isn't without its harmful consequences. So it's not just in terms of the pictures we see in, in Blue Planet of the visible plastic, you know, the the relationship of a mother and child in the sea, of course, that's something we can kind of see. But now we're seeing these more intangible impacts with microfibers coming out of plastic products, for example. So we're beginning to understand that it's plastic has a more complex relationship with the earth than we realised. Um, and the science to that is new, is new, it's really developing. Yeah, yeah, because we really don't know nearly enough, do mm. we, about mm -hmm. the impact of, you know, the... In the insidious nature of how plastic is absolutely everywhere. It's in the air, it's in every bottle of mineral water that we drink, it's in tap water, it's, you know, it's inescapable now. And we really don't know enough about the impact on our own health. Okay, so there's a demand for some research around what plastic is doing to us, as well as a demand for action on dealing with the plastic that we've got and how we tackle that. But I think there's also some stuff about 
moving forward as well, isn't there? And we want to talk about that in a minute. Um, but Steve, tell it from your perspective. You know, what are you finding in some of the companies that you work with around the kind of plastics issue? So it's it's whenever so what we do at the Planet Mark is we provide a certification for all types of organisations to do better. You know, it might be reducing carbon emissions or reducing energy, reducing water consumption. But whenever you talk to any organisation, one of the things which is top of the list is reducing waste and increasing recycling right. and, and doing better in that regard because it's what brings everyone together. It's a highly sort of it's, it's something that everyone's passionate about. And with this agenda on single-use plastic, you can see it's one of the first things that every single company wants to deal with. It's something they want to tackle. Mm. Um, and so we have got this sort of moment in time and what I've, and I you know, love your thoughts on this one, but there's something in here that's for everybody because there's a technical solution to this thing. Mm -hmm. There's a cultural solution to mm -hmm. this thing and literally everything in between. But you know, we're probably four optimists around the table. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm incredibly optimistic about our opportunity to make change happen and, and, and quite quickly. But are, are you equally optimistic? Um, I am optimistic. I saw a statistic last week that really kind of, knocked my optimism a little bit, which was about the recycling rates of millennials, who are the cohort who, uh, when they come up in surveys, they're the most likely to give socially responsible answers, environmentally responsible answers. They have the lowest recycling rate of any um, age cohort, which suggests that there's a, a gap between values and actions that we need to address. Um, and do you think that could be cynic cynicism in our recycling chain? Because I think now we know what we know about how little is actually mm. recycled. I mean, it's a mm. it's a shocking statistic that mm. we put our you know we go to the supermarket, we buy all our food, we own, we free it from all these multiple layers of plastic. We put it in the recycling mm -hmm. bin. You put it out. You know, I put my blue bag and my black bag out, thinking mm. I'm doing the right thing. Then I watch both of them going in the back of the same truck. And then you find out the tiny fraction of what is even collected is actually recycled. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if there is just a natural cynicism that has grown up. There may be. I don't know how much people who aren't kind of in the industry think deeply about our public, the, the kind of the back end of our public services. So it could be cynicism about the effectiveness of recycling. Um, the research showed it was more to do with the fact that it was inconvenient and inconvenience um, is a key thing we have to tackle because the reason that plastic has um, become so ubiquitous is because of its convenience. Yeah. And we live in a culture which is becoming more and more addicted to convenience. Totally agree. Just as much as we're addicted mm. to plastic, we're addicted to convenience, which is why I think that when we launched our campaign for a plastic-free aisle in supermarkets, mm -hmm. we, were, we always talked about being... Plastic free, not packaging free, mm -hmm. because I think mm. we're never going to let go of the fact that we can just have that grab and go, pop into the supermarket. You know, do, have you got time to queue up for your sausages or your your bit of salmon or whatever at the deli counter? Have it fresh cut, have it wrapped up, versus grabbing that plastic container and popping that in your trolley. I think we've we've just had decades now of this level of convenience and it's going to be incredibly hard to wean ourselves off that. So what we're um, very keen whenever we talk to the supermarkets is we know that our aisle is not about loose produce. It's not about losing that convenience. You know, it has to be 
viable because I don't think that being able to buy plastic free, the right to buy plastic free should not be about affordability and it shouldn't be costing really any more money. And once we have the right economies of scale, then it's not going to cost the supermarket any more money either. It has to be scalable because little, you know, one off shops are fantastic, but supermarkets are not interested in learning from those models. Everything has to be scalable Mm. and then it has to be convenient. And that's just about using different materials so that we're not, for the sake of convenience, destroying the planet. And I think, you know, the the role of the public now is whenever any supermarket, any retailer is making an effort to do the right thing, you know, it's our job to champion them. It's our job to make sure that that's a success. And that it that might just need a little bit of a shift in our shopping habits. Yeah. But I it's worth it. You're right about millennials. I think, you know, as the mother of two millennials, <laughs> I think I would testify that convenience and idleness you know, are probably a couple of the drivers, really, in, in young people's behaviour. But but also that point that you're making, Sean, about it being easy to do, and that is key to all of this, isn't it? So I think for the benefit of listeners, can we just wind back a tiny bit and maybe could you give us some context around, you know, Plastic Planet and your, and your supermarket campaign? Because there are people out there, unbelievably, who may not have heard of you yet and may not have been aware of the Where great work. Been? Living yeah. in a cave? Exactly. But this is the <laughs> pod for everybody. And we're about trying to get as many people as possible to, to, to sign up to our zeal and enthusiasm. So let's just get a bit of context. So can you tell us a bit about how it started, what sparked it off in, for yes. you, and, and where the campaign has, has got to so far? And then we can kind of, you know, unpick about what we need to do next, maybe. Mm. Great. So I'm probably one of the least likely eco-warriors you'll ever meet. You know, I'm an entrepreneur. I've, uh, it's never really been part of, of my world, if I'm honest. You know, my, before this, I, I co-founded and ran a skincare brand for 10 years in, in several countries. So can you imagine my personal plastic footprint? So I am absolutely no plastic saint sitting here. Um, and then towards the, um, the latter stages of that, I got involved in the launch of the film A Plastic Ocean. And I don't know if, if you've seen that film, but you know, it's available on Netflix. And it's, it's a complete mindset changer in every way because that film took eight years to make and it is such a passion project for the people involved. And I was just involved at the tail end of it in helping with, with the launch of it. But when you see that film, you leave that, that screen completely changed. You now know something that you didn't know and you can never unknow it again. And so therefore you want to change and then you go to your supermarket and you push the trolley along, and it's a sea of plastic wherever wherever you look. So it was actually at one of the screenings that myself and my co-founder, Frederica Magnuson, we decided, let's set something up. Let's set up a, really a campaign, which is about giving the public a right. Because it's almost like this human right has been taken from us, that if you want to buy plastic-free, it's impossible to do so. And we live in a world now which is totally about choice. Supermarkets are there to give us value and to give us choice. You can buy gluten-free, fat-free, dairy-free, all of these things, and you can't buy plastic-free. So we thought, okay, we're two unreasonable women, but we'll try and be as realistic. You know, I'm very pro-business. We'll try and be as realistic as possible. Just give us an aisle of supermarkets, just one aisle out of your 40 aisles where we can shop guilt-free, really, by shopping plastic-free, where you can push a trolley down and you can put your meat and your veg and your pasta and your sauces and your rice and your, your, all of that stuff. Um, without any unnecessary plastic. And so we launched this campaign 12 months ago, um, and it has been 
quite an extraordinary 12 months, I must say, because I'm not normally in this kind of public affairs space. But we've, you know, we're working with government, we're working with industry, we've obviously met with uh, a huge number of all the supermarkets, um, and even working, you know, partnering with people like Client Earth, who, who you, you might know, the amazing legal organisation who represent the planet and human health, who've done a lot on clean air and are now focusing on plastics. Um, so we've, we've met, uh, we started with these two unreasonable women who have now been joined by an army of amazing people. You know, people like Andy Clark is a big supporter, who's the ex-CEO of ASDA, you know, three members of the House of Lords, two ex-chair of MS. So people who really understand retail. So, you know, we are, we are not naive in this. We know what we are asking is difficult. We know it's inconvenient. However, to continue to wrap perishable food and drink in this indestructible material that we now know what it does to the to the planet to the oceans to our food chain and ultimately to our own health it's indefensible that we don't change um, and then we had a call for we were met introduced actually through the marvelous maria vesterbos um, who founded the dutch foundation of the plastic soup plastic soup foundation and she introduced us to ecoplaza and to Eric Doze, who is the, uh, the founder and CEO of Ecoplaza. And he said, look, I love everything about what I do. I have 74 supermarkets. Uh, I just hate the plastic. So what can we do? I want to be the first supermarket to go plastic free. Fast forward six months and two, two weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago, we opened our first plastic free supermarket in Amsterdam. And I think he was completely shocked at the amount of media attention that that received from CNN and Al Jazeera and uh, the New York Times and the Washington Post and, of course, the BBC and Sky and, you know, all the UK papers covering it, Germany, the Malta Times, you know. <laughs> Last week we had, the, we had the Sun, the Mail and Sky Italia all came to shop in the plastic-free aisle. So it has been uh, a phenomenon, I think, that really demonstrates that the public want this, that the public are ready and it's not just Europe. This is something that we know one man's trash is another man's problem. So we all have to do this together. And then la last week, I was actually there with Franz Timmermans, who is the vice president of Europe. And he came and he spent an hour talking with us in the aisle. And we had this wonderful conversation, which was all about how everything is connected. So, of course, we're talking about reducing plastic. But then let's also look at what's happening to our topsoil. The fact that DEFRA are saying we have less than 100 harvests in in UK because of what we've done to our topsoil. So by, by 2060, forget 2050 and the plastic and fish in the sea, 2060, we won't be able to grow our crops in UK soil anymore. So all of these things are really connected with what we're doing and what we've done in such recent years to our food chain. And plastic is a big symbol of that. Chan, first of all, I just wanted to say that it's fantastic, the achievement that you've made in such a short time. I had two Thank questions that, that came up from you talking about the plastic-free aisle in the, in the Netherlands. One was, um, what are the alternatives, or what are the best alternatives and, and why? And the second one is, I'm just curious what the results for the business were. Apart from having all the journalists shopping in the plastic-free aisle, mm. how did the general, you know, the regular customers take to it? The, the feedback right now has been that the Dutch are very proud. 
Mm-hmm. And we were we were talking earlier about how the Dutch are, they they're such a funny race because they do these extraordinary things and then they don't tell anybody, and it's 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 very un-American. It's it's actually quite un-British. You know, we like to do things that make sure we we get some credit for it, but the Dutch just do it and then quietly move on to the next thing. So so they you know Eric Doe's opening his plastic free aisle had no idea because for him it was just no it's the right thing to do you know what's next I'll just do it better next time um and but I think the Netherlands are incredibly proud because you know for this for the first to be in Holland I think it's it actually was no coincidence that it was in Holland because northern Europeans I think really embrace environmentalism and sustainability in a way that we don't in the UK um, and so much technology is happening up there. I mean, it, it's in Holland that they are 3D printing shampoo bottles out of algae. And so they are particularly at risk from rising sea levels as well. Yes. So it's an urgent, it behoves an urgent them. problem. It behoves them to be interested. Yeah. Absolutely right. And then you asked about what we're using in the plastic free arm. Mm. And there's a lot of things that you will you'll know that we've kind of fallen out of love with because of our obsession with plastic. So there's things like um, you know glass and carton board, lots of different kinds of paper and wood pulp um, and obviously metal. Uh, and then there is you know, also using some of the new biofilms, the compostables. And we're well aware that there is a, there's a big loose link in the chain, which is where is the industrial composting infrastructure that means that we can take this and make something really useful out of our packaging versus the, the current, you know, the status quo, which is something that we know is very harmful. Um, but we really want to just focus on materials that nature can handle, because what we know for sure now, nature can't handle plastic. Mm-hmm. That's just what's really interesting about that is the the emphasis you're putting on this not being a packaging free space. So it's not saying everything is loose and much as we'd probably all love to go and just pick out one or two peaches, you know, for a lot of people, they've got to get their stuff in the pack. So so it's really interesting that you're saying it's actually about alternatives to packaging. And I think that's actually key for people because that has to be the first step on the journey, doesn't it? It's still got to be convenient. We've got to be able to pick it up. And then when we've worked out that actually we can pick stuff for ourselves and take our own Tupperware boxes in to get our kind of olives in from the, the deli counter, we can do that. But we have to start where we're people are. Somewhere. Yeah, yeah, we have to make it easy, don't yeah, we? Yeah, we do. We yeah. do. And, and it is, you know, nobody, we are absolutely under no illusions. This is one step of many steps that need to be taken yeah. on many different paths to get us out of the mess that we have all collectively. This isn't about guilt or blame. We've all created this situation together. Yeah. Um, but and it's just one step. Yeah, we can't rely on on on, on the Dutch to solve it for us. I was so going to ask. Sorry, do you mind if I? Do, I know. Um, where are we going to see change then? When you know we, we sort of Amanda said you know where are you seeing change around us? So from the plastic aisle point of view, um, people are out there. Where are they going to see the next change? What do you see happening here in the UK that we might sort of see this? Um, I think things are happening retail? right now. So behind closed doors, there is an awful lot going on. So we've had all the supermarkets, you know, making some kind of plastic commitment to varying degrees. Um, Iceland, I think, are going to be way ahead of the pack. They actually came over and visited the aisle last week. Because Iceland's a supermarket, uh, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) I know. It's funny, you always have to say that, Iceland foods. I think Iceland and the country are pretty far ahead on this too. Yeah, I think you're you're absolutely right. So I think there's an awful lot going on and we're going to start to see some announcements very quickly. And they'll come from the supermarkets rather than from the government, won't they? Because it seems to me that our, there isn't as much appetite at government level as perhaps it's, there it's should interesting. be. Yeah, I think this, this is one of those issues where the change is being driven from the ground up. The public want it, 
we want to be part of the solution now, not just the problem. And therefore, the supermarkets who are, you know, they're our immediate touch point, aren't they? They're where we go and buy this stuff in the mm. first place. So we're only focused on food and drink in such a you know, specific way because it is such a major erroneous use of this wonderful material that we were talking about. You know, 2015, um, 40% of all plastic that was made was used for packaging. Nearly half of that was used for food and drink. So our goal is always, how can we turn off the plastic tap? We don't want to talk about recycling. We know that is not working. I can't see that working for a long time. So how do we actually just turn off the tap? And if we focus on reducing plastic in supermarkets for food and drink, that's a massive turn off of the tap. Mm. So, Sean, your, your campaign is about stopping the stuff coming out in the first place. Alex, is it fair to say that a lot of the work that you do at Hubbub is trying to scoop up what the damage that we've done so we it's out there so helping us deal with that so i'm just thinking particularly about maybe your plastic fishing but i know you do lots of other things so can you maybe share with the listeners some of the things that you've been doing around you know some of these issues around recycling and and coffee cups and plastic generally sure absolutely so just to give a little bit of background hubbub is a um four-year-old um charity and social enterprise based in london and um, we work on in environmental issues. Our, our goal is to help people live um, healthier and greener lives. And everything we do is very practical, action-based um, and positive. And we try and work with people's everyday lives. So we don't talk about um, sustainability. Um, we don't talk about technical issues, at least you know, in our public communications. We talk about the clothes that we that we wear, the food that we eat, the homes that we live in, and the, the neighbourhoods um, that we base ourselves in. Um, so those are the kind of lenses that that we see our work through. And we've been working a lot in the last couple of years around all sorts of aspects around plastic. Um, so perhaps let's stay on the um, subject of the wonderful Dutch initiatives because. Um, we're running a project in London at the moment called Plastic Fishing, um, which is an idea that originated in Europe, at least, with an with a, um, organisation in Amsterdam called Plastic Whale. Um, so we have built the world's first 99% recycled plastic boat. Um, it was built by... Is it 99%? It's, it's all recycled plastic, That's except amazing. for the fact that recycled plastic doesn't float, oh. um, <laughs> which we only discovered after we made it. Or started making it. <laughs> the 1% um, is a hover. So the 1% is, is um, foam. Um, and we couldn't find um, recycled foam, unfortunately. Right. Um, or not that had sufficient buoyancy to inject in, in between the layers of the boat. So um, I've actually you learned... You wanted a boat, not a submarine. So that's it was really right. important that it floated. <laughs> so it was built by, by Mark Edwards, who... Um, he has actually built a wooden submarine before. He also built the uh, the Royal Barge Gloriana for the Queen's Jubilee. And he's a kind of maverick boat builder of West London. And so we went to him and said, we've had this idea. We're going to build a boat out of recycled plastic. Well, we're not. We hope you are. <laughs> and um, and he was totally up for the challenge. So we now have an, an eight-meter-long punt uh, based on a 1,000-year-old design, but with the most modern material you could imagine, plaswood. It's... 8,000 plastic bottles, um, which we collected at um, uh, an athletics event, a cycling event in London, and a lot of agricultural tarpaulin. Um, now this boat is based in Canary Wharf um, at Dockland Sailing Centre in Millwall Dock, and we take 
businesses plastic fishing. So we take groups of, of executives and just regular employees of large businesses in mainly in the city and, and in East London. We take them fishing for plastic to because everyone's talking about the plastic issue. People within the companies, they're talking about reducing plastic, about replacing the, the cups with reusables, with ceramics. They've seen Blue Planet, but we're trying to show people this is an issue that's on our doorstep. And also we're trying to make it tangible because it's easy to say, ah, oh, isn't, isn't this a terrible issue? It's totally different to pull six plastic bottles, a yoghurt pot and a loo brush from right behind your office which is what's what's happening. And then we're using the income that we're making from um, plastic fishing to take groups of school children plastic fishing as well. Um, so we take Key Stage 2 groups um, from London schools and we teach them about the environment, about packaging, food and drink packaging, um, and, and introduce non, circular Non-parents ideas. in the audience, Key Stage 2 is what oh, kind it's, of age? So it's, it's 7 to 11. We, so we take the, the upper age, we actually take kind of the upper end of that and with um, generous support from City Bridge Trust, it's a big London funder, we're also creating free curricular materials for schools so that we plastic fishing can be a kind of key activity within a whole um, set of activities around circular ideas, recycling and teaching kids. Because one of the things you you find when you go out on the water, a lot of the plastic you pull out is the kind of thing kids drink and eat. Um, so you realise that, that that's where a lot of it's being... I don't think it's being thrown in. A lot of it blows into the water. And we did a big campaign last year called FFS London, which is for fish's sake, <laughs> um, which caused some controversy. And, and, and we did struggle to pull some funders on board because they were worried about the controversial name, which is a bit sad. Um, and um, that a lot of the focus of that was tidy littering. It's the fact that people don't throw... They don't throw litter in the river but they might on their commute they might put their cup or their bottle on the side of the bridge even or on the side of the pavement or next to a bin or people drop their cigarette down the drain all that stuff ends up in the river so we're just trying to draw attention to you might not identify yourself as a litterer but a lot of the activities that you engage in might actually end up with your your packaging your cigarettes ending up in the in the river um what sort of feedback do you get from people who've been on your... Is it right your boat's called Polymer? Polymer. Polymer. It was a, it was a public uh, competition. Yeah, that's right. And what's the sort of feedback you get? Um, the feedback is, is almost always fantastic, except for the few people who don't like getting wet. <laughs> um, you don't have to get wet, but if you, if you fish enthusiastically... I think people are generally shocked. They're shocked that because... When you see how the the waste we create is collected, it blows into corners. So you can you can be going along on the boat and it's a beautiful day and you have Canary Wharf and and you see a couple of bottles and this feels like a fun activity and then you go around the corner and you just see that there's like hundreds and hundreds of crisp packets and plastic footballs and dolls and just all this stuff that should never be anywhere near the the water in the first place. So People are often surprised. I think also one of the things that we see is when we come off the boat, we we split the, the plastic and everything else we pick up into plastic bottles that we use to make, we're going to make another boat with them. Um, 
recyclable plastics and non-recyclable waste of all kinds. It's incredible how little people know about what can and can't be recycled. And people often, they'll put um, the crisp packet or the polystyrene or something in the recyclable um, pile. And we have children from the local school, Canary Wharf College, who we're partnered with on plastic fishing and actually whose idea it was to, to bring it into London and a very um, enthusiastic partner. They have a cohort of kids called the Plastic Pirates who help sort the plastic. So you have these kids edu educating the adults about it. And the head teacher of the school, Sarah, will tell you that she thinks that in her generation or um, the children kind of nagged their parents not to smoke. And in the generation that attend her schools at the moment, the kids are nagging their parents not to be environmentally irresponsible. And plastic is perhaps the most visible sign of that. I think you're absolutely right. I think really that cohort of maybe, you know, five to 11-year-olds, unlike the millennials perhaps, who are already in the kind of convenience, you know, doing it because it's easy, buying things that they may not really want to buy, but they can't bother to think about it. I think those younger people are absolutely signed up to this and they don't need it explaining. They really mm. get what mm -hmm. this is about. They completely you know, get it. And they're totally... So, so there is some hope. But Alex, I'm really interested in the stuff that you're doing on the wider scale that isn't just mm. about plastic, important as that is about the coffee cups, because I think most of us probably would have been in that, I'm not sure that this is recyclable. It's made of paper, isn't it? Yes, it must be mm. recyclable. And it's an eye-opener, isn't it, to us that we don't, we can't actually recycle all these things. Or we can, but it's very difficult. Is that right? That's right. So with... Um, people, I think, are beginning to understand now that the paper cups we drink coffee from, um, they have a plastic lining and a, and a paper exterior. Um, they can be recycled, but only if they're collected as a se separate stream. In most locations at the moment, we're trying to work to, to do something about that. Um, that's not possible. We ran a big trial in, in the city of London, the Square Mile, last year called the Square Mile Challenge, where we collected 4 million coffee cups and recycled them which proves that if you put in the right infrastructure, messaging, um, and get all the necessary businesses on board, um, it is possible. But it doesn't mean that it's, it's easy necessarily. I think that um, what we are seeing now, which is very interesting, is people are trying to figure out how to drive um, consumers to use reusable cups. Um, the discount hasn't worked. The latte levy, which was kind of mooted by the government, now has been said they might take it away. We're running trials with Starbucks on that anyway um, in 30-plus London stores with a 5p charge on, on a um, so-called disposable cup. How's that going? Um, it's good. I don't actually know if I can reveal... Too early days. ...the, the <laughs> results yet, but the, the, results, back. the results are very encouraging. So that's, far, that's interesting that 5p yeah. is, is enough. I, th I actually don't, again, it, it is quite early. It's not necessarily the, the financial penalty, it's the same although with it the is bags, that. Isn't it? It, yeah. You're it's, just still an idiot if you, if you pay the 5p. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it is. It kind of yeah. singles you out as being someone who hasn't thought it through. Exactly. Yeah. Particularly and now. Did Starbucks no, enter into that? I mean, they came into that as a partnership with you. So we didn't, we, we don't have to rely on the government who have indeed rode back on the latte levy, having said they do it. They're not mm. saying they're not. So Starbucks were one of those chains who said, yes, we're prepared to make something really, a really public statement around this. So Starbucks were one of our partners in the Square Mile Challenge, but as were pretty much all of the, 
the coffee chains. Um, but they came to us to say they wanted to try the, the, the latte levy, partly because their own projections around the switch to reusables, they sell reusable um, cups, but wouldn't just weren't borne out in practice. That's they, really interesting. So they knew they had to try something else. Um, and I think we're seeing on the, plas- on the plastic issue in general, there is a new willingness from business to look for solutions. Um, and, you know, this is part of the moment that Sean's talking about. This is why it's important to grab this moment, because at the moment you can go into meetings with large companies um, and they're just they're open to making these radical changes. Um, some of them, I'm sure, are tokenistic and, and other of them are, are going to be sort of deeply ingrained in the company culture. And we have to um, try and encourage changes and, and the best type of change. Yeah, we've got a perfect storm at the moment in a way, haven't we? We've got the, the opportunity both to do the right thing, we seem to be doing the right thing and get the public credit for that, but also perhaps, you know, actually save money in the supply chain long term so because mm. it must you know maybe i'm getting this wrong but it must be cheaper for a coffee retailer a coffee shop to reuse somebody's cup rather than pay to give somebody a cup or isn't it is there a inbuilt supply chain economics issue in there that, that i'm missing that actually it's cheaper for them to keep giving out these non-recyclable or very difficult to recycle cups so i think it's a bit more complicated than we would like Part of that is to do with um, the large chains have have very fixed ways of delivering their their products. Someone like McDonald's, really their business is based around this incredible quality control where franchisees all around the world can implement in a military style the, the, the textbook way of delivering something. You can't do that if people are bringing in cups of all shapes and sizes you also have a there's a public health question around if i bring in a, a a cup and it's contaminated in some way and then i get i fill it with coffee and then i get poisoned whose responsibility is that does that open the chain up to be sued so from their point of view i do have some sympathy that there are questions that need to be worked through that aren't just about the quality of the packaging or the cost um and they have to rethink some of their approaches and business models. And I think there's some willing there and there's probably some legal departments who are a little bit more obstructive. Okay, so our job is to try and make it as easy as possible for them, I think, Mm. isn't it? What do you think we can do? I mean, both of your campaigns are amazing. Um, You know, they... At the moment, they're quite localised in the sense that you know we've got one supermarket um, and, and a lot of your work is in... A lot of your work is in... We've got Star Trek on the line. We've got Star Trek on the line. That's <laughs> help from above. I'm there. so sorry. That's my alert to go and pick up my child from the childminder. Oh. <laughs> Brownie points all round. It's just the perfect the segue into looking into the, the future. New, yeah, the yeah, new man. Yeah. He's doing. He's doing his bit. So, what what do you think we can do generally as members of the public? Because a lot of what you do at Hubbub is 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 at the moment London based. Though I know you've got campaigns running all over the mm. country and plans to roll things out. So if I had to say to you, if I said to you, you know, what are the three things you think people can take action on, just generally, either at work or at home, um, what, what would you kind of highlight for us and for, for listeners? So there's so many things that we recommend to do, and I haven't necessarily quantified them all or prepared to answer that question. Um, we would recommend people use reusable cups, not just because of the immediate impact, but because 
by carrying it around, it's a sort of reminder that to get you out of a disposable mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, we're increasingly looking at plastic microfibers um, and looking at trying to encourage people to do fewer washes and wash at a lower temperature because that drastically reduces the amount of plastic that you release into the... Um, so we're talking about 30 degrees? 30 degrees. Okay. And maybe you can air some clothes sometimes and not just chuck oh. them in the wash because you've worn them once. And if you're a teenager and you're listening, that means putting it on a second time or even <laughs> a first time and just not putting it in the wash just because it's a bit crumpled. Sorry. With the carbon and energy too, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Sean, three top tips or three, three a- areas, tips. calls to action. Come on, we've got willing, willing yeah. listeners out there who want to do something. So, the, what the can first we do? thing I wanted to say is that much as you know, it may be just one supermarket aisle. I think what has been amazing to see is what a catalyst for change it is. Yeah, of course. And to have you know the kind of people coming and visiting that aisle and the coverage that it's had has just been phenomenal for all of us involved. It's and, a real beacon, and it's not, isn't it? Yeah, and, and it's not slowing down. And obviously, you know, the, and the guy that owns that supermarket chain, by the end of this year, he will have rolled that out into 74 supermarkets. And his goal is eventually he will he will be completely plastic-free. And what I love across about working with him... Across the whole supermarket? Across his whole supermarket, eventually Fantastic. that's his goal. Amazing. Um, and then also what I love about what they're doing is it isn't tokenism. It isn't just, oh, here's the, here's the bit the consumer's going to see on the shelf. He's taking his whole supply chain plastic-free. And that's incredibly hard. Yeah. So I think him being just a, a symbol, really, of what can happen and how you can you don't have to focus on one kind of bo- bottom line. There are two kinds of bottom line, and he's very focused on that. Mm. You know, it may cost him pennies more to do something, but he's determined he's going to do it because it's the right thing to do. And has his business increased? I mean, I know apart from all the journalists who've been buying things, or probably not actually, you know, journalists. Mm. But <laughs> if, if they could just get in the door, the oh, yeah. paying public. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. If the paying public could get, the, would he? Just, has he seen an increase in people coming to the supermarket because they're attracted by what he's doing, not yes. just because of the PR? Yes, and it, it's it's interesting with Echo Plaza because they they've already been a very they were a very ethical supermarket chain already, so people know them. And they know that they have that level of integrity that goes all the way through. So when they did this, it felt like, well, yeah, of course, this is my Echo Plaza. This is what they do. I love Echo Plaza, you know. So it was really interesting yeah. to see how it wasn't like a, a radical, oh, my God, I had no idea. Maybe, you know, Albert Heim, the, the, one of the big guys, you know, I had no idea that they would go plastic free first. I love what's happened in the UK, the fact that it wasn't one of the premium supermarket chains that was first out the door to make a really bold statement. It was Iceland. The the Iceland Foods, the affordable supermarket. And I think uh, I love that whole uh, philosophy of being able to buy plastic-free is not about affordability. This is a right we should all have. Absolutely. And then you asked if there were a couple of things that people can do straight away. And I I would say ban cling film from your house. Because we are so hooked on cling film. We think we can't live without it. Even the biodegradable one? I wouldn't. You'd really just try and wean yourself off. Because when, if it says biodegradable, that's one of those words that needs real clarification. Everything in the world mm. biodegrades, even plastic biodegrades. It has to be certified compostable. And if it isn't, then everything biodegrades. We biodegrade. It's what it biodegrades into we should worry about. Um, so ban cling film, just think of alternatives, use grease through paper and foil and, you know, you put a bowl in the fridge, put a place on it, come on, we can do this. Um, and then the second thing would be never, ever cook 
or boil your food or microwave your food in plastic because we have no idea what we are doing to our health by by perhaps having things seeping into our food through that way and any scientist will say to you just don't do it so if you have a ready meal any of those things decant it first great okay both of those are really doable and of course you can find lots of tips and ideas and pointers and links on our website theplanetpod.com and of course we'll put links to hubbub and to plastic supermarket um plastic planet beg your pardon plastic free supermarkets and plastic planet onto the website as well so there's lots of places to go to get advice and i think we were saying earlier people just don't know quite a lot of the time do they? they don't know what they can and can't recycle they don't know easy ways to do things so that has to be our challenge is to make this really easy for people so, so yeah. easy we're pointers. never going to re-educate 70 million people let alone no. 7 billion people so it, it, it is this is down to governments to legislate it's down to manufacturers to come up with smart ideas and our message really is you don't have to wait 25 years you don't have to wait five years every one of those years we are pumping more plastic out into the ocean into our fields into our bodies let's be honest enough is you enough can do it now time to stop time to take action steve did you have some thoughts some things that you wanted to call to actions from your perspective because i know you've got lots of ideas about these things well i'm gonna i've got sort of two two things really firstly just having listened to sean and alex um what i really really like is this sort of sense that um change is happening all around us so quite often we turn on the news and quite often we see bad news you know and really, the piece about guilt is also a piece about um, actually we could be feeling an awful lot better because out there there is good news. Now, it's visible right now, but I think that some of the work that you're doing is demonstrating to us that actually big change is happening. It's a little bit behind the scenes at the moment, though, I get this feeling. And from the businesses that we're working, on, working with, we see change happening, but it hasn't got all the way out into the public domain yet. But there's really exciting stuff which is happening around us that counteracts the bad news to a large extent. Doesn't mean we got there yet, and there's a lot to do with work in terms of uh, cultures and so on. So, um, but I always leave these conversations with a sense of optimism. And if I was going to sort of say anything, if people, um, uh, I think there's a sort of a call out on on organisations to say, please, please step up to the plate. Yeah, because business can be as power for good, and we can see that. And the conversations that you've been having have been actually working with organisations mm -hmm. who've chosen to make a difference, and that for me is the exciting bit. So, if you're in an organisation, be it a school or or a business, or a charity, or wherever you are, you can actually go into that place of work and actually make a change in that in that place. And that's the exciting bit for me. Yeah, we don't stop being the people we are just because we walk through the door of the. Of, so of the office or the school or the workplace or whatever we we have to carry those good habits that we have at home or perhaps better habits into our workplaces don't we yeah. and that's key. And, and i think also i think right now we the public have no idea the power they have you know look look what's been happening in the last couple of years with brexit and trump we have no idea how powerful we are and this is an opportunity to take that power and be real catalysts for change you know let's let's not stop being the noisiest nation in Europe on the plastic pollution crisis because we can channel that action and we can take it up the chain and force change to happen. So much of change is happening. I see our role at A Plastic Planet is, you know, we need to just ignite people to change faster 
because otherwise we can't allow this this to come off the table to suddenly drop off the bottom of the agenda because we've been talking about it for two years surely it's fixed by now it's going to take a long time and we have to work as quick as we can yeah absolutely so calls to action everybody you've been listening to planet pod and huge thanks to our guest today sean sutherland from plastic planet and alex robinson from hubbub Uh, if you want to hear about what they've been doing, you want to find out more about what we're up to, visit the website, theplanetpod.com. You'll find lots of links to their websites as well, as well as helpful advice and information. So join us again soon. Um, I'm Amanda Carpenter. I'm Steve Malkin. And we'll see you soon.